0: much more convenient for everybody to say that he was crazy than that he was politically motivated because if you say someone's politically motivated in a great, in a way you're conceding that there might be a justification in what they did
1: hello and welcome to the aspects of history podcast my name's oliver webb carter and i'm the editor And that was Peter Stothard continuing our chat about assassinations. And in particular, we talk about assassinations in modern history going up to as recently as the Iraq War and Saddam Hussein and Tony Blair. So it's a really interesting chat with Peter Stothard. He is the former editor of The Times. So not only is he a master of the Julius Caesar assassination... He also knows quite a bit about politicking and the world of assassination, so we cover we cover modern modern day uh, assassinations. We talk a little bit about Wilkes Booth and Bobby Kennedy, who was killed by uh, Sirhan Sirhan. Uh, so good, he was named twice. Now that I find the Bobby Kennedy. Uh, assassination fascinating, but we don't go into conspiracy theories we're just simply talking about that idea that in many assassinations and political killings, the killer is dismissed as a a madman, and we just explore that whole idea and another thing that i I did kind of allude to when I speak to Peter is how our language around political killings has we use sort of violent language when talking about political killings and we don't really delve into it too much but the reason i brought that up and i forgot to actually mention it to peter and i'm mentioning it to you and i'm going to put a link in the show notes because there is a interesting video that i don't know if any of you have seen whereby the language that politicians have used in the last few years in the UK Parliament, that language, not necessarily in the UK Parliament, but politicians that have used uh, in interviews and are members of the UK Parliament, I should be a little bit more exact there, um, have used language that would not be out of place in a common garden gang that you see all over the world. And with that in mind... I think it was Channel Four News uh, have put that to a, a drill music um, drill musician who has created a video that is quite that it makes you think. Now I'm not an expert in drill music, so please don't ask me anything more about that. But it's an interesting idea. Now elsewhere on the Aspects of History homepage. We've got a couple of good stuff on the homepage. Alfred Nojox, the man who started the Second World War. With all the horrors of Ukraine, it's worth looking back to false flag incidents that were created by the Nazis in World War II. Um, We saw a little bit of that with the... the, um, Oh God, I nearly said Soviets there, which is completely wrong. But uh, from the Russians when invading Ukraine. There's an interesting piece from Roger Morehouse, who's written a fantastic book, friend of the show. We spoke to him, my first ever podcast. Um, I'd recommend that one. And it's all about a false flag operation that kicked off World War II. Also, we have a really fantastic piece written by Catherine Pangonis, who is a debut author. Her first book, Queens of Jerusalem, came out only last year, it's just come out in paperback, and it is a very interesting look on the strong female figures during the Crusades, and she's picked one in particular, Alice of Antioch, again that's on the homepage. So I do hope you enjoy those. Now for my podcast listeners, because you've put up with my irritating voice and style for so long, I have a gift for you. It is a 50% discount on a annual subscription of Aspects of History. So that is a simply a, a code that you can use. The code is history50% sign, history50%. I'll put that in the show notes, but you can use that on our website. You get 50% off. It's already a tenner, which is already ridiculously low. And with this, it's only a fiver um, with this discount. So I do recommend that. Elsewhere, you can get hold of me on the Twitter at OliWCQ or you can email us at history at aspectsofhistory.com But we're going to go over to myself and Peter. We talk a little bit about the first murder post-Julius Caesar and then we go into a little bit more modern-day assassinations and how the Julius Caesar assassination has influenced, impacted, affected... I hope you enjoy it. Assassins that are are, are sort of bumped off one by one, I guess once we get to Cassius Parmensus in about 30 BC or 31 BC. And I, I, I can not end up mentioning Russians again. But you know, if you're a, if you're an enemy of Putin aboard, you know, it. you know, it's coming. And it's the same with them, isn't it? They know, they yeah. know it's coming. Um But the first, the first one to go to sort of meets a particularly grisly end, isn't he? Yes,
0: Gaius Trebonius. Yes. Well, I don't think they really did know that it was coming to, to an extent. It was, after Octavian had succeeded in killing everybody and and it, on pretty much his first line of what he called his raised guest eye, which is everything I did in my life when he was at the end of his life. his first thing he t- said was that he was going to uh, uh that he had avenged his father his father's killers um, but it w- it was a while before the, the killers really realized what this was going on i mean first of all that the a law was passed that um exiled and meant that you could uh, kill the people who'd actually killed Caesar. But that was not so, I mean, I don't think that's created absolute sort of panic. as such. I mean, you could get away from it, you know, that had happened in Rome before. Um, And then they passed another law saying that anybody who helped the uh, assassins or, or was sort of sympathetic to them, could also be, be be hunted down, and that created a great terror. And at that point, yes, people did um, leave the country and start uh, preparing for, for the for the battle that, that had to come. But yes, um, in, in in between times, some people were the court, and Trebonius, I'm sure, had no idea um, when um, w- when he was uh, in Smyrna, uh, the modern Ismir, um, that um, some that uh, the guy called Dolabella, who weirdly was um, Cicero's uh, son-in-law or ex-son-in-law um, they're all, it's all totally intertwined all these, all, all these people uh, he's almost the opposite of Cicero isn't he yeah, I mean, and he—he he generally goes, has gone down as a bad as a, a bad guy because Cicero didn't like him, and uh, if, if Cicero didn't like you, the, the, the words of history tended to be rather against you. And he—and he, and he certainly did change. You know, he wasn't doesn't seem to be a very reliable uh, ally. But then there were quite a lot of people who weren't very reliable allies. Anyway, he—he he got hold of Trebonius, and I think probably, got him tortured to death more to find out where the money was. I mean, I think he thought that there was money around that, he, that would be very useful for him. And uh, maybe he, he wanted to find out whether there'd been any, anything more about the plot. I suspect he was much less interested in what Trebonius would tell him about the plot than where the gold and silver was hidden. But yes, he, 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 he did suffer a very un, um, unpleasant death on the, uh, on the Roman rack.
1: Just moving moving the um, uh, assassination onto sort of modern day kind of modern day Western democracies, we do sort of metaphorical assassinations now, don't we? And I was trying to think of something similar to caesar's assassination like a public metaphorical assassination you know n- n- no no blood or anything but but i was thinking that you know in in 1990 when margaret thatcher it was coming to the end of margaret thatcher's premiership when a succession of cabinet ministers came into her office saying you've got to go and each one repeating the message is it, it, do you think it, am i wrong is that there, there's no real similarity there well, the only similarity
0: is is that, it, yes, that if you've got an, an unpopular, very powerful person who you want to get rid of, the people who get rid of you will be your closest friends and allies. But I think it's a bit un, a bit dangerous to start to... to, to I mean, we, we do use the word character assassination in a rather loose way. And the reason why we, we, we feel free to talk about a character assassination is because, on the whole, we don't do um, real assassinations of... of you know, very much. And in fact, if, if, if people do commit assassinations, we tend, and this is always been a bit of an oddity, to, to us think that they're mad. Um, if You know, it, it's become almost like a commonplace to say that if, someone, someone like Wilkes Booth, the, the, the assassin of Lincoln, he was in fact an extremely political figure with very well worked out uh, argument as to why Lincoln should be killed and was bad, you know, it was a bad thing. It should be killed. But once he had done the deed and they got rid of him, it was sort of suited everybody to say that he was crazy, a sort of cracked actor. Because no one ever really wants to accept that there might have been any good reason for killing um, Abraham Lincoln. So even if, and you don't want to uh, punish all his supporters because that's very rarely in your interest to do so. You want to run heal after an assassination. So Wilkes Booth was one of many who was, was written off as, as, as crazy. And the guy who killed Robert Kennedy, um, it was in no one's interest that Sirhan Sahan Sir to have all his arguments out in court. And I mean, he's a powerful and, you know, Palestinian advocate, and he was very hostile to Robert Kennedy, who was uh, considered to be very strongly pro-Israeli. But it didn't really suit anybody to have those arguments out. It was much more convenient to say that he he was crazy. And of course, the defence lawyers, the people who are supporting, often want to go down the crazy route too, particularly if there's a death penalty involved, because if you can say the guy is crazy, then he might just go to jail and be let off at some point rather than. rather than executed. So it, so it was both the defence and the prosecution, as it were, often have an interest in saying that an assassin is mad rather than that an assassin has got a clear, carefully worked out plan as to why they uh, were going to do their assassination. And the one thing you can be absolutely certain about in terms of the assassins of Caesar it was, it was that they were doing it you know, politically and for what they believed to be very powerful p- p- political reasons, which they wanted everyone to know about. Uh, um, but it doesn't all, uh, always worked out like that. Often, often, it suits people to say that assassins are crazy, rather than that they had a different uh, political view to theirs.
1: And so, do you think it's dangerous that that? Because I think you might have hinted at that, that. It's dangerous that we we mix the two, uh, the violent killings, with you know our normal day-to-day political discourse of when we want to get rid of a politician.
0: Well, I wouldn't say it was dangerous. It's just, I mean, the only reason we can do it is because assassinations are so um, so rare. I mean, if it, I don't think we, it wouldn't be considered very tasteful to talk about the assassination of Margaret Thatcher. Actually, Hilary Mantel didn't she write a novel? Yeah, it,
1: yeah. A
0: story called that, which was which was rather roundly criticised because it was uh, it, it, it was obviously <laughs> in in her view something which uh, was you know, that's, how, that's, how, that's how that's how she saw it. But but the um, it's only because we don't have many assassinations that we can that we can use the, the, the word uh, as freely as that you know you can you can only say I, I can really i really want to murder this steak you know if you don't feel that someone is going to murder you sitting at the next at the next table then language is the words drained of their meaning because then meaning is no longer useful it's you know, a very good thing too
1: yeah it is, although you know, we I guess we've we have more. We think we don't have many, but then we uh, w- only a few months ago a, um, an MP was was murdered, and and that's two MPs in six years, yeah. isn't it?
0: Yeah. Yes, and both of those um, were deemed to, to be. Uh, it was very convenient, I, I think, to, to say that the people were, were were crazy, wasn't it? I mean, no one. Mm. The, the, the joke on uh, the Joe Cox case. The guy was. Um, Politically motivated, wasn't it? Wasn't he? He was yeah. a sort of uh, far right guy. Far right guy. Even then, it didn't really suit people to suggest that that was somehow a justification. Because if you'd gone too much into that, you might have encouraged other people to say, "Well, actually, that did constitute an actual justification for killing." It's much more convenient to say that, that he was a bit of a nutter. And uh, although in that particular case the world there was reference made to to, to his uh, far right beliefs, I, I think I, uh, as the story changed, it was just much more convenient for everybody to say that he was crazy than that he, he was politically motivated. Because if you say someone's politically motivated, in a great in a way, you're conceding that there might be a justification in what they did.
1: Yeah, and in in today's society, you do have to be a bit of a nutter to do what he did. Yeah.
0: Well, I want to either not, to, or you're prepared to. I mean, I, I don't think this is. I don't think we should elevate the killer of Joe Cox into this area. But I mean, no. you, you 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 can. It's definitely giving up your own life uh, for a, a political cause is not considered is, uh, and that could in, include assassination or or or, mm. or or just you know blowing yourself up in a bridge or, or for the sort of religious. Cra- craziness, you know. We like we tend not to, we tend to not believe that there's reason behind people who are doing things that we don't like, you know, because we'd, we'd rather that the, they were behaving irrationally. Mm. Maybe, I mean, we now reckoned that Putin is behaving irrationally. You know, that that that's a much, but a better. I don't know whether he is or not, but but it, it's it's much more it's much more comfortable to say that he's behaving like a crazy man, than to, than to start picking apart too much the reasons, the, the reasons you know, the, the reason that he has for doing what he's doing. We don't want to do that because it's, it's, it's intolerable to us that there could be reasons for doing what Putin's doing. So it's much easier to say he's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I think we, we run, the, you know, you run the risk of the, so you, you you start treating anybody who doesn't do what you think is the right thing to do, as so though they're insane. I mean, obviously, sometimes they are. But uh, anyway, in, in terms of the of, of Wilkes Booth, Sihan Sirhan, and, and yeah. they were considered uh, crazy. And it's one thing that's very important to understand about the uh, the assassins of Caesar is that they weren't.
1: And and elsewhere, I've seen you. We're running out of time, but I'm just going to get one more one more thing in which um, again. I, I've, you you wrote about a little bit for us, and and then I, uh, I've I've heard elsewhere is that just because you can carry out an assassination doesn't mean to say you should, and I think you've mentioned that in the context of um your you, well you've written a book about Tony Blair's time as uh, during the Iraq War, and I think it was in that con- context yeah. Yeah. that I'm yeah. saying.
0: Yes, 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 it was. I remember I I, I was in a strange position during the Iraq war. What was your job exactly when you were... Well, I I just stopped being editor of the Times, and the Times had agreed with Downing Street that for Blair's 50th birthday, I think it was, a journalist would sort of follow him around for a week and just write a sort of magazine piece. That's actually become quite common since then, but actually at that time it wasn't very common. It wasn't what prime ministers did. So the times were quite keen to please with this, and um, but as the war grew nearer, the guy who they lined up to do the uh, peace decided he didn't want to have anything to do with Tony Blair and, and, and the war, and um, so they needed someone who could go in at the last minute, uh, who. take this assignment and i'd only just stopped being editor of the times it was a very interesting assignment so i said yeah i I do it and um of course the war wasn't wasn't clear what could be a war then absolutely but i I went in there and i eventually ended up spending a month there uh watching every day of, of of the build of the build up to the war and it was a very extraordinary time and the incident that your um uh describing was when Blair was getting very upset with all the criticism that he was that that he was getting for for going after Saddam and and he and people were saying look you know what's so bad about about Saddam okay he's a bad he's a bad guy but you know so is Robert Mugabe you know so what he called the Burmese lot um there are lots of bad guys around and 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 we don't go you don't go assassinating them so what Why is um, Saddam so different? And then Blair said, well, the difference is that I actually can get rid of Saddam because the Americans, for totally different reasons, have decided they want to get rid of Saddam. And therefore, I can get rid of Saddam and therefore I should. Um, Whereas I can't get rid of the Burmese lot or Mugabe, therefore it doesn't really really, uh, apply. Um, this is a what you might call an unconsequential view of uh, of morality. It sort of says that if it's the right thing to do, getting rid of Saddam because he's an evil man, you should do it regardless of the consequences. Um, most moral decisions, in a formal way, are often in politics, in particular, are based on utilitarian or consequential views. You know, you do something because it will have a good outcome.
1: I always got well, the impression that Tony Blair would think about consequences in all his well, other political decisions.
0: Well, well, he would, but he, but he also um, understood that that isn't the only way of, of looking at uh, ethics. Um, you know, th- there is a non consequential view of uh, of ethics, which is that uh, if if something is the the right thing to do, you should do it. It has a it has a, a moral certainty in itself. Now this is not a very fashionable view, and I don't think Tony Blair was particularly pleased to uh, necessarily to have uh, opened himself up in that way, and it did get him into a certain amount of of of, of trouble after, afterwards. But it is it, it is a legitimate it is a legitimate way of of moral thinking, and um, and and Tony Blair at that stage did reveal that, that was you know, w- w- one of the reasons he was frustrated at people. Um, Criticising him for the the, the, the war, sort of a regime change war against uh, Saddam that resulted in Saddam's death, and was obviously pretty much bound to do so. So, so yeah, it was just a, it was a glimpse into in, into that, into the Brutus way of thinking of Julius Caesar, if you if you like, which is that you know, although we we say well, the assassins wouldn't be very pleased because they got the the opposite outcome for what they. Wanted it is perfectly possible uh, for anybody studying ancient philosophy and, uh, or any kind of moral philosophy is to say, Look, it doesn't matter whether we got what we wanted. If Julius Caesar was a bad man and he was above the threshold for getting rid of him, and um, in our view, and so we got rid of him. And even if, and if they then later discovered it hadn't worked out very well, they would say, Well, it was still the right thing to do, which is exactly what Tony Blair says about Saddam Hussein. You know, if you ask him about you know, all the millions of people and all the terrible things that happened uh, as a result of the the invasion of Iraq, um, he still says, well, yes, but it was the right thing to do. Mm. And that's what Brutus would have said.
1: Well, I think that's quite a good place to end it. Um, Peter, thank you very much. Actually, you wrote a book about that as well, didn't you? 30 Days with Blair at the Centre of the World. <laughs> Not quite. I think it was just called. It was just called thirty days. Right.
0: Um, uh, uh, but it was. Just, it was just a diary. It was a. People criticised me afterwards and said, "Well, you didn't make enough points. You know, you weren't you analytical enough. You weren't enough, sufficiently opposed to the war. You weren't sufficiently pro the war. You were." But but at that stage, I was literally. They wanted you to come war. down
1: on one and side or said, the other.
0: Oh. Well, that's afterwards, when that's what people said, but, but in fact, it's it, it's a document that I think is probably worth more. And certainly it's often cited in history books now because it was a absolutely plain, unvarnished account of everything I saw and heard inside Downing Street in, in the places where I, could see or hear it, or where I could see or hear it. So I've got no um, no regrets about doing it that way, but um, there was quite a lot of criticism at the time.
1: Interesting. Well, I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes for that, and as well as, of course, The Last Assassin, The Hunt for the Killers of Julius Caesar, Uh, Peter, thank you so much for the time. It's been really interesting talking to you. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Wonderful to talk to Peter, and so fortunate of me to speak to him as well, because not only is he a great classical historian, written this fantastic book, The Last Assassin, The Hunt for Julius Caesar's Killers, he also, as former editor of The Times, can give that modern-day perspective and so, as we heard with the Tony Blair and, and some of the other assassinations and some of those horrible killings that we've seen in this country, in the UK, very recently. So, very much enjoyed talking to him. Coming up next week, I'm moving slight shift to historical fiction, and I'll be talking to Mandy Robotham, who's the author of The Resistance Girl, And I'm reading at the moment. It's fantastic. It's a a great historical fiction novel all about the Second World War and resistance fighters in Norway against the Nazis and involves something called the Shetland Bus. Now, I won't reveal any more. You'll have to listen to next week's show to find out more about the Shetland Bus. Uh, But that should be interesting. So... I hope you enjoy that and if you do enjoy these episodes I would be hugely grateful if you can subscribe. So that's enough of me. Thank you and good night.